So I'm actually, well, first off, I'm Rick, I'm from Hawaii. <laughs> I actually am from Hawaii and I never say aloha, so thank you, Johnny, I needed to hear that. And I'm also an alcoholic. Um, I'm really excited to speak in front of you and I want to thank Kelly for asking me to speak. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to get up here and be able to be part of the service part of the Triangle, talk a little bit about that. I, um, you know, I love, I love participating in my sobriety, and my sobriety date is 7-10-04, and I'm lucky enough to have one of my best friends here, Jeff, uh, who I've known for over 20 years, so keeping me honest tonight. When I, I called my sponsor right before I got here, uh, Kaz, and Kaz is like the dude. He's got the long blonde hair, and, and he's big, and, you know, just doesn't talk much, and I said, so here I go, you know, any last words of advice? And he said, you know, Rick, just uh, just be honest. And I go, oh my God, I've been practicing this for three weeks, and I got to change everything now. So, <laughs> so I'm just gonna. I, I'm dyslexic, so I'm just gonna kind of scramble it all around and, and do my best. I um, I was born in Hawaii. I came from a military family, and uh, which meant we moved a lot. And uh, we left Hawaii when I was still pretty young and um, moved to the mean streets of Huntington Beach and uh, I lived there most of my life. And like Johnny, I, I grew up in the skateboard surfing world and really thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that culture. I grew up in the uh, late 60s, early 70s and, you know, bonfires and we lived real close to the beach and the, uh, the Cuervo Gold and Fine Colombian made tonight a wonderful thing. You know, it was just, uh, for all you young people, that was a Steely Dan song. So. Uh, 1978, so just bear with me here. I live in my own world. And, um, you know, it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a great time. And, and alcohol and, and those, those outside issues worked really well for a long time. When my father returned from Vietnam, I'm going deep tracks here because I have 40 minutes. When my, when my father returned from Vietnam, I was uh, five years old. I'd never met him. He left when I was probably one. And uh, I, I'd, never, I'd never seen the guy physically. And, you know, he, he went and did three terms after his original two terms. And people ask, you know, why would your father, he was, he was a gunny sergeant, which is basically, you know, in charge of the boot camp. And why would your father put his life at risk and, and you know, re-enlist like that? And I say, if you've ever met my mother, you would know that that is, <laughs> that is definitely the easier, softer way. Um, and, uh, and so... When, when he came home from Vietnam, um, shortly after they got divorced, and later in this, this uh, dialogue, I'll, I'll tell you why, but it makes sense now. I, I didn't learn until a year and a half ago what they got divorced, to be honest with you. But I will tell you that my father came home, and he was my higher power. You know, he had, he had the, the big, you know, marine tattoo. And no one in those days had tattoos, you know, and, and we lived in this neighborhood and he wore the uniform and, um, and you know, I was, he was just my idol. And, um, and then at six, I remember exactly where I was. We were on the five freeway heading to Camp Pendleton and he looked over it and said, you know, me and your mom, by the way, he, he was a career Marine, so there was not a lot of hugs going on in my family in those days. And uh, so he looked over at me and just said, matter of factly, your mom and I are getting a divorce, and I'm moving back to Alabama. Take care, you know. And I, I, I remember, this is a long time ago, uh, this is 50 years ago, I remember wanting to open the, the door of that 67 Mustang and jumping out. Honestly. I remember it just like it was yesterday. I mean, my world for the first time, that was the first time that it was just completely rocked. 
Everything I knew, everything I thought was, you know, riding my little scooter down the street, all that was just taken away. And so my father packed up, moved away, and, and he became a distant father. You know, from a six-year-old kid, Alabama is, is a lifetime away. And so, you know, my mother went from, my mother was beautiful, and she went from relationship to relationship, and, um, and she liked to drink, and she liked to have cocktails, and, and she, you know, during those times in the late 70s and stuff, you know, it was, if you ever want to watch an old Bewitched or uh, I Dream a Genie, you know, it was cocktails and this, and I loved drinking her cocktails. I loved just, just drinking her vodka tonic, you know, and uh, from the very beginning, and if you're new here, by the way, let me back up, um, like I said, I'm dyslectic, so um, if you're new here, welcome. And I want to welcome all the newcomers. And uh, I was talking to a couple guys at the um, break, especially the people that have never been introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, you don't ever have to take a drink again. You really don't. Even if you want to take a drink again, you don't ever have to take a drink again. And that too shall pass if you stick around here. That was the best advice my first sponsor ever gave me. Um, and to the birthday people, um, was it Bill and Kylie? You know, congratulations, that's an awesome, awesome deal. And uh, if you're in your last 30 days, I'll tell you my story a little bit. Um, you know, that almost killed me. Please, find somebody, talk it through. I have never met, in, in coming, in being in this program for 25 years, I've never met anybody, ever. And I've gone to a lot of meetings all over the, the country. I've never met anyone that said, wow, that was a fantastic decision, taking away my sobriety date and redating it. I've never met anybody that said that. I have met people that have come back and by the grace of God have stayed sober and said I'm a miracle that I'm sober today. So if you're in your last 30 days, I implore you to talk to somebody. So anyway, my, my father moved away. I had to find a high, new higher power, surfing, skateboarding, got into the culture. Um, all my friends were good skateboarders and uh, none of them, all, all the guys who were in my wedding are dead now. All of them. Except for my wife's brothers, all the guys. I lost the last one uh, December of last year. And that's because they just didn't find this place. And I tried. I tried. My, my friend Brian Millett, um, just, a, just a, an amazing dude, um, great surfer, died of DTs up in, in Lake Arrowhead. Um, I was in Hawaii surfing. And he texted me the night before. said, oh my God, these pictures are amazing, brother. I wish I could still get out there with you. And I'm like, Brian, let's meet when I get back. You know, just trying to throw that line out there. And he died the next night. And so this is, this is a deadly disease. So I found alcohol when I was young. What, I, I, I was a wrecking ball. Um, I, I, I had no father figure. So I just wrecked and destroyed and fought and got kicked out of schools. I got kicked out of continuation schools. Um, most, most of your parents would have not let you play with me. There's no question about it. Um, I was a long-haired surf punk and um, I just didn't care. And I got kicked out of just about every home that, that I lived at. I, I, I got shipped to a sister, an older sister, got booted out. Mostly it was the schools booting me out. Then I, I moved with some friends, booted out, found my outside issue taking me out of school. Anyway, finally got sent back to Alabama to a father I didn't know. So this is, um, I was in the 11th grade, so this is like 1979. I'm wearing the checked van shoes. 
the original checks, I got hair halfway down my back, it's all gangly and bleached out, and I moved to live in a small town in Alabama <laughs> with my dad, who didn't know me. You know, my, my dad would just look at me and be like, boy, I, I, I just don't know what's wrong with you. And, um, and so I show up, and the first thing he wants to do is, is get my hair cut. I'm like, there's no way. And I got, these, I got these van shoes on. So he's like, they're having a football game. Everyone does the, you know, the, the Friday Night Lights, and that's big out there. And so I go to this football game. Again, long hair, got a hoodie. And people are looking at me like, you are a freak, you know? And once again, I feel different. I don't feel part of. And this, this nerdy guy named Danny Ellis goes, hey, man, we're... we're we're over here having this Bacardi and Coke. You want to join us? And I, I once again took that Bacardi and Coke and I felt the heat go into my body and you know the hair stand up and immediately I fit in. Immediately, at least that's what I thought. Um, I thank my father for letting me come live there by um, immediately becoming a dealer, you know? Um, and, that, and that's how I thanked him. And uh, he, he caught me and what did he do? He bought a Greyhound ticket for me, took me to a base, so there was no cell phones, obviously. Took me to a bus station and said, adios, this is to California. Never called my mother, didn't tell any of my sisters, and I was off again. And I, I moved to Southern California, and I lived with one of my buddies who was a year and a half older, and man, it was, it was on. My mom didn't know I lived there for six months, so she was doing her own thing. And uh, you know, I, I was, I was doing my thing. So, fast forward, age of 20, one of my good friends, uh, John Rose, again, just, just a talented young man, had the world just at his feet, great job. Um, it, I'm 20 years old, I've got my own place now, I'm working at the Marriott as a barback, he walks in the room and he blows his head off in front of me and shoots himself. And uh, and the way I handled that was to drink. Was to drink, and I was killing myself. I mean, I, I crashed cars. So, you know, before I get into recovery, I, you know, Johnny did a great job of talking about qualifying. You know, um, I should not be here. I, I did everything to try and kill myself. And, and when, when John died, um, June 20th, my, my birthday, my belly button birthday is June 27th, I, I just, I didn't know I was trying to kill myself. All I thought I was doing was really kicking this thing up a notch. And, um, and I, 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 one of the last things I did before I met this, this girl, Lisa, is um, I had left a, a, a club called Confetti's that used to be over by the city center. Kelly shaking his head. Um, and, uh, and I just got wasted and, and I, was living, I was living across the riverbed there in, in Santa Ana. In a, in a room that my mom had, and um, I was going as fast as I could in this Toyota Celica two-door. And there's, a, um, there's the center medium that's got the lights, and I hit it as fast as I could, didn't even turn, and I sheared my tires off. And, you know, every time, it just seemed like every time I would do something like that, I had the will or the power to make it home. I walked home, I left my car. Another time I crashed my car and rolled the car down the hill, I, I, I walked home. So if you're new and you're like, well, I never had a, a DUI, I've never had a DUI, I've had a, a police officer open the door and I fell out of the car 
and they put me back in the car, asked me where I lived. I said, I live in Park Newport. I was maybe a mile away. They, they laughed, put me back in the car and said, get out of here, boy, you know? So that, that doesn't mean I'm not an alcoholic. I mean, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, you could have five, I know people that have had five. It doesn't matter. And so, I was working at the Marriott and um, it was an awesome experience. I, I became a bartender at the age of 21, right, right when I became 21. And, and at that time, the, the banquet bar manager um, was, was also a um, outside issue dealer. Stuff that makes you really peppy. And um, man, it was awesome. I, I could go to work at night start drinking, drinking Jack Daniels, and, and you know, I, I had this other stuff. And um, I'm walking down the hallway, age 21, and I see this girl, she's got reddish hair and um, white pearls, and she's wearing a uh, pink polo shirt, she's all tan, and, um, and she's wearing these white shorts, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, love at first sight. I mean, I was just, I, I gotta meet this girl. So talked to her, name's Lisa, she worked in a gift shop. I invited her to one of my friend's clubs. And, um, and so she goes to the club and, and brings one of her friends and, and you know, I drop a drink on her foot and you know, she, uh, she decides she's gonna go out on a date with me. And our first date, I, um, I did some outside issue right in front of her because that's what I did. And she came from completely the other side of the tracks and was like, what are you doing? You know, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? And she goes, I, I, I've never done that. I can't be around somebody that does that. I, I you know, I, I, I just, I can't date you if you're gonna do that. So just like that, age 21, I threw all that stuff away and never did it again. Now, I wish alcohol was like that for me. Um, you know, boy meets girl. I decide, you know, I wanna get a better job. I really wanna, I wanna work to, to start a relationship. We, we get married, I get a better job. Drinking takes on a whole new, whole new meaning. I'm not doing any of that other stuff, but drinking's okay. You know, her family drinks, she comes from an Irish Catholic family. You know, we would, ha Halloween would start Jack Daniels season. You know, I mean, it was like, <laughs> Halloween's here. Everyone knows why I drink so much now. And, um, you know, we would just go through Thanksgiving and then Christmas and, and by, by, you know, New Year's I needed rehab. And, um, and then we had our first child um, in 1990. And, um, you know, I, I, I just noticed that my drinking was out of control and that I was, I was doing some stupid things. And my wife was saying, you know, maybe you should try and figure out how to control this. And I was doing things like, um, like not, Johnny had talked about it, not, not making it to work. I um, had crashed a car. She would ask me to, to stop or control and what I would do is stay up late and I'd push my Volkswagen bug down the street and start it, you know, after she'd gone to bed, go get, you know, some air, those little airline bottles of booze. Um, I remember we had our hedges trimmed one time and, and I would hide them in the hedges and one time she didn't tell me that the gardener came and trimmed the hedges and she said it was raining, you know, these little <laughs> bottles of booze. You know, what is going on with you? And this is where I first started learning that um, I, I had an issue and I'll tell you why. First thing I did is I went and talked to a therapist and said, man, I, I really would love to stop drinking. And um, he's like, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you this stuff, it's called Anabuse. And if you drink on it, you're gonna get violently ill. In fact, you could, you could die if you drank enough. You, you just get really sick. And I go, cool, give it to me. 
took it. That night I drank on it. And I, I got to tell you, you get really sick. Anybody else drink on Anabuse in here? All right. Yes. Right on. Was that a great experience? Yeah. Yeah. I remember being in a cold bath. You know, it's like you need antihistamine. I mean, it's, uh, it's terrible. So I drank, I did it twice. You know, you, the first time I could say, you know what, I didn't know. But the second time, it's kind of like, you know, somebody telling you not to think about pink elephant. As soon as I took that, that obsession would just become... Yeah, I just can't explain it. Well, I, you guys know. Um, when I'm telling other people, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You are from Mars. So I did that. Then um, I went to a psychiatrist, and uh, he prescribed some medication that didn't work. Um, and, uh, and it seemed like it, this whole process was making it worse. But the best one I ever did is, is I got a, a tape. I ordered these tapes. Um, back, these were, back in the day, we had tapes. And I ordered these tapes, and... Um, it was ocean music, kind of sounds in the background, and it would go, don't drink, don't drink. And I'd be like, I gotta have a drink, I'm dying here, get me a drink. And this progression just goes, by the way, I'm married now, now I have two children, and my goal in life was to not be my parents. I, I, I literally, I talked to Johnny and I, I talked to my other sponsees about goals, how important it is. Um, I was talking to Leah at the break, you know, as long as you have a goal, it's not destructive, it's not going to hurt somebody. You know, have a goal. Have goals. And I remember writing down this goal of having this white picket fence in this house, and which Johnny, you've been to my house, do I have a white picket fence? So be careful what you wish for, you know? Now I'm always like, why do I have this white picket fence in front of my house? Anyway. Um, and so I, I really wanted these things, and I knew the drinking was, was getting out of control. And on Christmas Eve, I remember I hung out with Lisa's parents and drank and did the Jack Daniels. And I had this incident where we went, we went to a concert, and a um, small concert. It was at the Robert Mondavi Center. And uh, they served us wine, and then we were going to go watch the concert. Now you guys know what happens when, once you introduce alcohol to the body. That, that craving and obsession happens. Concert starts, I don't have any alcohol, and I'm like, what am I gonna do? I went back in the room, door was open, I'm like looking around, I closed the door and I got locked into the room at Madhavi Center. And there was no cell phones. And uh, it, it became a big incident. They're like looking all over for me and they, they eventually found me and I was pretty happy because I had all these big bottles of wine. And my wife said, I, I think you're an alcoholic and I'm like, I think you're right. It was the first time I'd ever said that out loud. And it was, it was December 24th. And I was, I remember my goal was to put my son's first bike together. I was so excited about it. I, you know, buy him a bike. I'm not going to be like that father of mine who just took off. I'm going to get my son on that bike and I'm going to teach him to ride. And so when we got home, I, I opened that first bottle of wine and I started working on the bike. And then I opened that second bottle of wine. And then I passed out. And not only did I not set up the bike, I could not get up for Christmas. Like, they're coming into the room. Thanks for laughing, Jeff. I appreciate that. Um, I, I couldn't even make it into the room. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get up. And that's when I realized. So, I, uh, you know, I, 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 at the same time, by the way, I got this job, my dream job. So it's 1994. So my son was four years old. 1994, all, all I, my whole life was about surfing and skateboarding, and I got a job at Vans. By the way, I've been here 
all the people I've given free vans to are shaking their heads, you know. Um, so, you know, your dream job, you know, you want to be, be cool about it and, and enjoy that. So, about six months into this job, my boss comes to me and says, hey, um, we got a problem. And I go, what? He goes, listen, you're doing a great job. You obviously love the lifestyle brand. We love having you, but um, we're going to have to put you in rehab if you want to stay here. And I'm like, rehab, man, I, this doesn't sound good. This, I, you know, rehab wasn't talked about that much. You know, I, I, I had heard about it. I didn't know that much about it. And he said, you know, you're just not going to be able to work here if you don't do it. And I, you know, listen, I contemplated. I'm like, wait, I could find another job. I could do something. But after talking to my wife, I went into Hogue in 1994, January 23rd. And that was my sobriety date. And I can tell you, I knew nothing about alcoholism. I knew that this thing was tearing me apart. It had killed many of my friends. I'd watched a friend kill himself. I mean, I knew it was a destructive disease. But I didn't understand the disease. And I remember sitting in there and the counselor writing on the board, dis-ease. And I could relate to that. Because when I wasn't drinking, I was in a constant state of disease. I would wake up in the morning and it was the first thing I thought about. Not my kids, not my wife, not my job. How am I going to sneak alcohol into this house and get away with it? How am I going to get loaded again tonight and get away with it? So I went through Hogue and I went through the six week process and uh, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm not drinking and I'm sober. And I'm, on the last night, they said you needed a sponsor, and there was a, a guy speaking, he was a surfer, and I related, and, and I asked him to be my sponsor, Scott Green. So this is 1994, and uh, they set me free. And I remember the first day that I went back to work, I'm sitting in my corner office, and I'm looking out at the water in Long Beach, it was at the World Trade Center in Long Beach, my office then, and I thought, what now? What is this? I mean, alcohol was such a carrot to me. Everything I did during the day was because I get to drink tonight. Everything I did, it was that carrot. I'm going to mow the lawn and I'm going to edge and I'm going to do a specially good job because I'm going to drink tonight. I'm going to wash everybody's car because I'm going to drink tonight. Then you took it away and I'm like, what now? What now? I mean, I, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to function. And so I looked up meeting guides and I, I found this meeting that I still go to today, uh, Alton, and I, I hooked up with a, with a bunch of, of friends that I still, a lot of them I still have today, um, the ones that, that have stuck around. Got into sober softball. You know, Johnny talked about service and, and, um, and our birthday people talked about, you know, um, making sure that you have unity and service so that you can have sobriety. I still have a commitment today. And so, um, <coughs> It was eight years, eight years of sobriety, and um, we were taking the kids up to Arrowhead, and I'd kinda, I kind of, I, I just kind of, oh, I know. So right before that, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. I always wondered why I wasn't a good reader. I was a, I was a great listener. I, I, listened, I listened to the big book on audio. I could recall many things that, that a lot of people can on audio. I really enjoyed that, and they found out I had severe dyslexia. And so, um, I, uh, this therapist said, you know, you may not be an alcoholic. 
You just maybe, maybe your brain was just so mixed up and you used alcohol as a crutch and all of a sudden all those destructive things. You know, if, if I had an hour and a half, I could tell you all these things that, that, that happened. All these things were all of a sudden evaporated in my brain. I didn't remember that. I wasn't in a meeting. You know, there's two times that I have paradigm shifts. One is when I go to a meeting, I could be having an all-go sale. I'm getting a divorce, I'm selling the house, I'm moving to Alabama. I go to a meeting and somebody says, dude, what are you thinking? You know, and I have this paradigm shift or I hear somebody share. The other time is when I'm in the water and I'm talking to my higher power. And I didn't have either one of those things. I was busy in my job. You know, I mean, it was, I was man, I'm, I'm an important guy. I work for vans. I mean, I, I, I got stuff to do here. Don't have time for you people. So we go to Lake Arrowhead, day one of vacation, and um, my family is kicking the ball, and you know, my kids are, you know, 10, 12. I have three kids at that time, got a one small one, and they're not kicking it to me. I'm having to run down the path and get it. I'm getting a little cranky, you know? And I'm like, why, ooh, just that, you know, that, that feeling, you know, my skin doesn't fit right. And my wife, um, with, any, with no impunity, pours the wine. By the way, she is not an alcoholic of any sort. She has her glass of wine, we're sitting on the deck. By the way, if you can remember a drink from 17 years ago, you're an alcoholic. So, <laughs> there's no question. And I can remember every single bit of it. And so, eight years, I look at my wife and I go, I'm gonna have a glass of wine with you. And she goes, what? Why, why, are you sure? And I go, yeah. It's been a long time, honey. You know, she doesn't sit in these meetings and we talked about it being a family disease. Long time, eight years, you know, long time. I hadn't kicked in a door in eight years. And so, this guy knows my story. I kicked in a lot of door jams. So, um, so I was not saying aloha when I was drunk at the end. So, um, so I had that drink. And I'm going to tell you exactly the way it was. And I mean this with all sincerity. And this is what defines an alcohol, alcoholic to me. I took that drink, white wine, we're on the deck. I felt it go down my stomach, just like I did when I was in the 10th grade in Alabama. And it lit up my stomach immediately. And immediately, all of that angst went away. And I'm telling you, I remember thinking, I have wasted eight years of my life in this stupid program. What have I done? Oh my God, oh my God, it's beautiful. I can smell the pine needles for the first time in eight years. I can, I can see the glistening light. This is a true story. I'm like, honey, let's go for a walk. <laughs> Normal people don't do that when they have a drink of alcohol. She wasn't. She's like, what are you friggin' talking about, you know? I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's, 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 it's just wonderful. It's amazing. Let's go for a walk. And, and we started walking and she's like looking at me like, you know, and I got my glass of wine, you know, all of a sudden I'm like one of the soccer moms with my glass of wine walking. And, and, um, and we drank that wine. I drank that wine. She drank her glass. And within 20 minutes, that experience was done. And all of a sudden, that, why are you laughing so much? All of a sudden, that obsession kicked in with the craving. With the craving. It just, like, on fire. And we're at this little cabin within... So we drank the wine. I'm like, you got any more wine? She's like, no, I brought that bottle for the weekend. This is day one. So I'm like, okay, I remember there was a liquor store down at the end of the road. I walked. Next thing you know, I'm right where I left off. I'm drinking 40 ounces out of a brown bag behind the cabin. Within an hour. Within an hour. 
Within two hours, I'm like, pack your stuff. We're going home, kids. That is the truth. We packed up and we left. And I went on a two-year run that almost killed me. It almost killed me. All those things, yes. All that stuff that I wasn't doing because I put it down when I was 21. It all came roaring back. I was coaching my son lit. Just litty, lit, lit, as my daughter would say. I'm like looking around at all these parents like, they are freaky, you know? And I am lit. And, and my wife sees me just going downhill. I mean, just way, I mean, she came home one day. I'm in the backyard and I'm drinking Kool-Aid. But what it really was was a full vodka with, with uh, coloring in it to look like I was drinking Kool-Aid. And she immediately walked up and she's like, you're not fooling anybody. And so, so after two years, after two years, she's like, get out. Get out. Just get out. You are, you are ruining our family. By the way, at two, at two years, this is tough to talk about, my daughter who's 25 is one of my best friends. We surf together. She was anorexic. She was pulling her hair out. She, this is a girl that now has her teaching credentials and is a, um, a Lulu a Lemon marathon runner. At that point, she wasn't functioning. My son, my son, my oldest one, is still harmed from this. I can only give him a living amends. But I had become a monster. I went from this father that was coaching his son to a monster. So I was moving out. I was actually out already. I was living in, a, in this back house we have where we did your steps, Johnny. That was my home. And um, my sponsor from two years ago called me. I looked at the phone and I'm like, oh shit, it's Steve. Steve goes, hey buddy, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm dying, Steve. I'm dying. And he said, let's go to a meeting. And I was ready. And I went to a meeting. I went to the old meeting. I said, by the way, I'll go to any meeting except Alton. And he goes, by the way, I have this wrong. Steve, I sponsored Steve. I sponsored Steve. I met Steve a year later at my alumni at Hogue. Sponsored him for eight years, then went out. And then he became my sponsor, so be careful out there. He knew everything. And all those things I made him do, he made me do. I know we're, we're, we're getting low, but I will tell you something. When I said to you early on, especially to the newcomers, that you don't ever have to drink, even if you want to. So I was telling Steve with about, I, don't know, I maybe had two months of sobriety, maybe six weeks of sobriety, and I was still obsessing of alcohol. It was like that girlfriend that you lost, and I, I still had nothing back. You know, there was no guarantees that I was going to get anything. I still had my job. But, um, but I remember... It's weird, I have these weird memories of where I was. I was pulling into the parking lot and I said to Steve, I was just honest with him. And this is the most important thing about the honesty part is you need to be honest to somebody. I mean, I've told Jeff everything. He, he, knows, he knows everything. And, um, and that's a freeing thing. That is a really freeing thing. I, I suggest that you have a group of men or if you're women, have a group of women that you can share those things with because they say you're, you're only as sick as your secrets. But So he said to me, Rick, I know, I know what you're going through, but you don't have to drink even if you want to. So that night I went home. I had six weeks of sobriety. I walked in the garage. I took a bottle of wine that I had bought. I walked over to that outside sink 
ones inside. I took a screwdriver because I had no wine opener and I popped the cork down and I held it to my mouth and I got this close and I remembered what he said. You don't have to drink even if you want to drink. And I poured that bottle of wine out. Not easy to pour it when you have the cork. It keeps going, blub, 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 blub. And I, I have never obsessed on alcohol since. And that was 15 and a half years ago. I'm not saying I haven't thought about alcohol. You know, I think about it when I'm talking to people about it specifically. But I've never said, I've never romanced it. If you're new, don't ever romance alcohol. It's a killer. And don't start to dance with that 2,000 pound gorilla. Once you start dancing, like I did in Arrowhead, man, that thing's going to win. Just don't. Find somebody, talk to them, and, and tell them how you feel. Maybe they'll give you that, that, um, that thing that uh, you'll remember before you actually pick up or use. So I got back in the program. And one of the most important things that, that happened to me is, is I met a group of guys that were having retreats on a regular basis up in Arrowhead. And um, that's the last thing I wanted to do, is go up with a bunch of guys up to Arrowhead and hang out at a lake. I'm like, oh my God, what do you guys do up there? You know, and um, it, was, it was amazing. I met some people that are, are still extremely important. I, uh, I met a guy that was dying of cancer. He had stage four esophageal cancer, Liam, who, who is no longer here. And um, I couldn't wrap my head around how this guy could be happy. I'm like, how, how could you be happy? I mean, we'd, I remember sitting in the boat with him and talking to him about life, and he, his Irish accent would be like, you know, Rick, all we have is today. That's all we have. We don't have anything else. We have this moment right now. Try and live in it. That was more English, sorry. I, I, I don't do accents well. <laughs> But he would say, try and live in it. And, you know, I have, I have a, I, Liam passed on, and he passed on with dignity. And I have another friend now that um, guy used to fill Carnegie Hall, uh, play, playing for Barbara Streisand. And, and uh, you know, he wears a shirt that says, happy to be here. And, um, and that, that's my goal. My goal is just no matter what. How much time do I have? So, last year, when I started sponsoring Johnny, I had two things happen. One is I found out that my father wasn't really my father. I found that out through 23andMe. It explains why he was just like, bah, you know? And the other thing is my wife was diagnosed with stage four malignant melanoma and was given five months to live. And what she did with that information, I'm gonna talk quickly, is she decided to try and kill herself. Now, I will tell you that my wife doesn't have malignant melanoma today. It was a misdiagnosis. But she tried to kill herself. I walked off a plane because I felt something was wrong. I was with a client flying. I was at John Wayne Airport. I can tell you, if I wasn't sober, I felt it. I said, something is wrong here. What? And, and she's like, she, she thought she had the cancer at this time. She's like, it's okay, Rick. You're gonna be fine. I'm like, quit saying that to me. I got in a car. I called the police and said, do a welfare check. I called her back, pretending like I was still there. I, got, I, I called her parents, who lived two blocks away. I got there, and her father's trying to knock the door open with his arm. He's 85 years old. I, that was the last time I kicked the door jams off. I kicked those things off quick. And then she was locked in the bathroom. 
I don't want to be graphic, but my wife had cut her throat and her wrists. If I wouldn't have gotten there right then, my wife would be dead today. And she's the most important thing in my life. She saved my life and she stuck with me and I was able to return the favor. And I only was able to do that because of Alcoholics Anonymous. If I would have been distracted with BS or I would have been doing my BS, because of this program, I live in the moment like Liam told me to do. And in that moment, I knew my wife was crying for help and I saved her life. And it's been almost a year now. And Johnny saved my life. Because I told my sponsor, I can't sponsor this guy with all this going on. And the dude said to me, Rick, this is when you need him most. Lean into that guy. And so I'm very grateful for you, Johnny. I'm very grateful to all you people. If anybody in here is struggling, please see somebody and, and talk to them. This is an amazing freaking journey. It is the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. So thank you.